gotta tell somebody. This is the best thing I've ever seen. That. Let's talk about that. Let's you talk need about this. that. Listen to this. Memorable and exciting. Well, then be less boring. I'm gonna tell everyone. Wait here. Quite a remarkable big daddy. Remarkable. Remarkable. What? Welcome to Remarkable a podcast for B2B marketers that deconstructs the most iconic moments in film, television, pop culture, and advertising for a single purpose, to give you, the B2B marketer, the same storytelling techniques that the pros use. In each episode, you will learn techniques from Hollywood, Pixar, Marvel, and beyond, from Spielberg's hands to yours, bringing remarkable content ideas to you every single week. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. This is Remarkable. This week, we're talking about B2B marketing lessons from Barbie with the help of special guest, director of content marketing at Mach 49. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Ken. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Ken. Hi, Ken. Hi, Ken. Hi, Ken. Hi, Ken. I got us both ice cream. Cool. Angelica, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I am thrilled to have you on the show. Excited to chat about Barbie. Mach 49, your background, and everything else. And you're an Oakland native, which I love too, since I'm from Oakland. But tell us, why did you want to talk about Barbie? Well, so it all started with the college that I went to. So I went to Barnard College, and Greta Gerwig also went to Barnard College. So there has, like, outside of the fact that Barbie has been everywhere all the time, in public, like my inbox has been lit up with um, Barnard being very excited about this movie. So weeks before it came out, for weeks after it came out, my goodness, they have found every angle to tout this movie. And also one of the Barbies went to Barnard also. So big Barnard connection here. But even before they started that campaign, I was very excited for the movie. So I think that's why I chose it. That is too funny. I didn't know that. That's, that's really fun. Where did you see the movie? I saw it at Grand Lake Theater in Oakland. Yes. Yes, very majestic old theater. Did you really? That's my theater. That's my spot. I've seen like a million movies there. Yeah, it's a great place. I've been going there since since I can remember. Shout out Grand Lake Theater. A uh, true part of my childhood. Mem- many memories of, of me and my dad seeing movies and my mom seeing movies uh, there. Saw Jurassic Park there. For the first time, like Sad Line, Star Wars, not the originals one, but the new trilogies. Gosh, love, love Grand Lake. Anywho, tell us a little bit about what you do at Mach 49. So first I'll tell you a little bit about what Mach 49 is. So basically, we are a professional services firm. We're helping biggest businesses in the world uh, grow. So basically, we have two main levers to help them. So on one side, it's um, doing corporate venture capital. So for example, we helped TDK, which is like a, you know, an electronics magnate based in Japan, like help them start up TDK ventures. So we help companies, you know, we can either help them like start the firm or start the fund, launch it. We can help them with deals, the whole thing. So we've been working with them, I think three and a half, four years now on all their 31 deals. And then on the other side of the business, we're helping companies with venture building. So it's all about kind of like incubating new ideas, trying to figure out, you know, if there's an idea you already have, like seeing, is this a viable idea? Do people actually want this? Like, could this go somewhere? 
And then sometimes we're just kind of starting it all from scratch and just doing a ton of customer research to figure out like, what is it that people need right now? What will they actually pay for? What will they come back to? So launching those those ventures with large companies like Schneider Electric and Goodyear and folks like that. So I've been at the company kind of like on and off. I'm boomerang for like almost three years now. And so a lot of our content marketing has to do with our clients because at the end of the day, kind of like our success metrics are like, are the startups that TDK Ventures is investing in, are are those startups getting acquired? Are they IPOing? Things like that. So like we're always looking out for, you know, the success metrics of our clients. And we're trying to see how we can kind of sing their praises because every time they win, that's that's how how we win. So um, my role right now is largely about case studies and kind of just like getting all the metrics that we can from our engagements with clients and turning that into, you know, blog posts and social media and webinars and, you know, what have you, events in person, just trying to make sure that we can tell our story with them and through them instead of just saying like, hey, this is what we do. It's like, this is this is what our services can do for you based on, you know, what we might be doing with your competitors or your contemporaries. One of the reasons we were so excited to have you on the show is it's such a different type of marketing where you're not only marketing for yourself, but also all of these companies and seeing how they're doing marketing. Super fascinating. And and we're going to get all into that content strategy a little bit later on our program. But first, Meredith, what the heck is Barbie? So we're talking about the movie. So it's the brand new movie out about the classic toy. And she's played by Margot Robbie. And she's having a wonderful time in her perfect world known as Barbie Land until she has an existential crisis. And this is marked by her pointed feet that normally fit into uh, whatever shoes they're putting on the doll. And her feet go flat. Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Barbie. Yeah, Barbie. I just fell. Fell? I'm so embarrassed. Barbie doesn't get embarrassed. I know. Barbie, I I don't even have context for this, but my feet, my heels are on the ground. I'm no longer on tiptoes. That's okay. Let me see. And so she gets this chance to experience the real world and she goes on to discover the complexities and ups and downs of what it means to be truly human. So it's taking this classic and highly branded story and sort of taking it in this new direction, which is really interesting. So the movie came out this year, uh, was directed by Greta Gerwig from a screenplay that she wrote along with her partner, Noah Baumbach. And it was produced by Margot Robbie's production company called Lucky Chop for Warner Brothers in association with Mattel. Uh, it stars Margot Robbie, like I said, as as sort of classic Barbie, because there are other Barbies in the movie. Who are you? <laughs> I'm only your favorite woman of all time, Barbie! Ryan Gosling is the main Ken as well. Yeah, because actually my job, it's just beach. Um, and then there's Kate McKinnon, who plays sort of a f***ed up Barbie, who's like seen the real world and had her hair cut and been drawn on and things like that. Welcome. Welcome to my weird house. 
There's also America Ferreira, Michael Sarah, Issa Rae, Will Ferrell, and, and so many big stars. So how'd this thing do? So <laughs> the movie has broken so many records already. Um, it is the year's biggest opening weekend, the largest opening for a female director ever, Warner Bros. highest grossing domestic release in history, which surpasses The Dark Knight. And it's also become the highest grossing movie of this year. And it brought in 500, over $575 million in the U.S. alone as of this week. And that's all according to Variety. It has already grossed $1.3 billion globally. And it was expected to make $55 million in the opening week, but it actually made $162 million. So it's nearly tripled the expected um, income. So has totally uh, exceeded expectations by far. How did this get made? So simply put, Greta Gerwig just said she just loves dolls. And <laughs> she said she told Time magazine she played with dolls until she was like far too old to be playing with them. Well, you know, she can say that. But she said, I played with dolls too long. I was still doing it in junior high. Kids were drinking and I was playing with dolls. So <laughs> that basically says it all. But she and her partner, Noah Baumbach, wrote the screenplay after they participated in this Barbie boot camp. And I want to know like all the details behind that, but I couldn't find any. And it was thrown by Mattel. And then shortly after that is when the pandemic like basically shut down everything. So they were basically just like in their New York apartment writing the screenplay. And she basically was like, now having done it, she's like, it's a miracle this movie got made. And I think part of that is that it was made in association with Mattel, who is this major company with a long brand history and very carefully controlled brand narrative. So there was definitely like a lot of convincing that they had to do to get the movie made. And basically the main person who was able to do that is Margot Robbie. Did you bring your rollerblades? I literally go nowhere without them. Please. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Let's do this. Can I sit in the front? No. Because she wanted to have Mattel let her production company, Lucky Chap, make it. And so the real key thing is she spoke with Mattel's CEO, who's Enon Kreitz. And the way she put it was, we're going to honor the legacy of your brand, but if we don't acknowledge certain things... If we don't say it, someone else is going to say it. So you might as well be part of the conversation. And so she's kind of like acknowledging that Barbie is this kind of controversial figure and very laden with like feeling and emotion and all of that. And so she's like, we're going to talk about it. Come on, Sasha. Give it to her. Destroy Barbie. <sighs> okay, Barbie. Let's do this. You've been making women feel bad about themselves since you were invented. I think you have that the wrong way around. You represent everything wrong with our culture. Sexualized capitalism, unrealistic physical ideals. No, no, no. You're describing something stereotypical. Barbie is so much more than that. Look at yourself. You can be part of that conversation, but if you're not, you'll have no say. So that's how she got Mattel on board. Oh, one thing I want to mention is that she also caught Mattel at this very like critical point in their history of the company because they had this new CEO, Enon Kreitz, and he was working on shifting the brand strategy. And he said the most important transition was from being a toy manufacturing company that was making items 
to becoming an IP company that is managing franchises. And so he's sort of shifting this brand strategy. And so now they're making movies based on their toys. So Barbie is obviously one of the major ones, but they have plans for 14 more movies, including like a Hot Wheels movie, a Barney movie, but they're also going to be putting out TV shows, video games, and a Mattel theme park in Arizona, which is where I am. So I might go to that. Sounds super cool. But yeah, so a critical point, I feel like timing was everything, but they also had the right person heading it with Greta Gerwig, who has sharp writing, which really drew in a lot of a lot of actors and actresses, and then Margot Robbie sort of being a spokesperson for that project. So a lot working towards just making it happen. Incredible. A million things to unpack there. Angelica, why why is the Barbie movie remarkable to you? Well, besides the fact that it was literally everywhere and you couldn't escape it, I did. I mean, I didn't want to escape it. I was so I was so excited by it. I mean, I feel like this color here, like when you can just kind of like take over a color and like everywhere you see it now, you just think of Barbie and like that font. I, it was so dreamy. Like I, I want, I would like my name in that font, please. Can we make a poster? <laughs> like I, I need to do something with that font. But yeah, I mean, it just, it, you, you couldn't, you couldn't ignore it. And also, I don't know, I have to say something crazy. I, it's, we're far enough in that I have to say this. I did not like the movie that much. I'm bummed. You're a bummer. That's a bummer. But, oh, that's funny. <laughs> but from a marketing perspective, it was fabulous. Like I got about 30 minutes into the movie and I'm like, okay. I finally started to understand because it took me, it took me about a month to see the movie. I was in Mexico at first and I didn't want to see it dubbed. And then I got back and things were very busy. So I had a lot of people give me their opinions before I saw it. So I went in with all these, you know, preconceived notions. And one of them was there was this woman who's on a commission with me in the city of Oakland. And she's quite a bit older than me. And she sat down and she said, have you seen Barbie? I said, no, I haven't. And she said, it is just feminism light. And I was like, wow, no one else is saying that. But then I watched it. And I was like, I see what you're getting at. Like, you know, we're scratching the surface here, but we're, we're, we're not getting too far. So anyway, so everyone has such a big opinion about it and it literally was everywhere. So that's, that's why I'd say it's quite remarkable. I think it's, it's a key part of this is that it is truly remarkable. It has sparked so many discussions. It has sparked discussions about like, what is Barbie's like place in this world? Who gets to determine that? Is it more than just a toy? Is, you know, this collection of, of, of toys, it created an entire dialogue around Mattel and their brand and how they view brand building and IP building and building franchises. I think creating cultural moments are so important. Like the, the Barbenheimer thing was really cool. Are you ready for Barbenheimer? mania that's because today's the day those two huge movies barbie and oppenheimer both opening today and the national association of theater owners is projecting that more than 200,000 moviegoers will get tickets to see both films not just one of them on the same day this weekend people going and see these double features i mean you're talking about like let's go back to 1960 and tell our parents when they're 
whenever kids that, hey, someday there's going to be a double feature on the atomic bomb and Barbie. Yeah. <laughs> and that like, whatever, millions of people are going to go want to watch that. It's like bizarre. I mean, you couldn't even make something like that up, right? It's like stranger than fiction. And it's sort of like a needed conversation starter in a time where there's a lot of like absence of of things to talk about that aren't sort of like a little bit good, a little bit wholesome, a little bit dig under the surface and you get to some pretty like large topics that people feel uncomfortable about. And I think like that is, it is as remarkable as it gets. And because like you said, Angelica, you can't escape it, that it is everywhere. It is at bus stops. It is in virtual reality or augmented reality. It is on every single ad. It is all over social everybody posting about it more than anything, I think, more than all the marketing, I think just the amount of posting about it, the amount of opinions about it. It's just great. It just spurs dialogue. And then like, that's the point of content is to create, create that. Did you feel like, you know, you did have a conversation with your, with your colleague about it. Did you feel like it was something that is like worth talking about? Like, you come in on Monday morning and like I've seen this with Oppenheimer where like a lot of people are sort of like, oh, me and the family went to Oppenheimer this weekend or oh, me and me and the family saw Barbie. Like it was pretty good or it's better than I thought or it's just okay or whatever. And then sort of sometimes things just stop. Whereas like another version of that is like I saw Oppenheimer and like let's talk about atomic bombs and nuclear <laughs> and nuclear war or like let's talk about Barbie and like the impacts that Barbie's had on society. Do you feel like those type of conversations were being had in, in your life from, from seeing this everywhere over the lead up to the movie, the marketing for the movie, then after seeing it? I mean, I feel like the lead up was probably a bit more than the after effects. Um, I, well, it probably didn't help that it took me a month to see it. So there weren't as many people to like talk about it. Like they had already seen it and it, it, that happened a month ago. Let's move on. But no, I'd say, I'd say the pre-marketing probably did most of the lift. And then after the fact, like, I don't know that there were so many next steps. I mean, I'm the, the pink is not going away. Like everything is pink and will be for a long time. It's And we will all be thinking about Barbie every time we see it. So if anything, I feel like something is definitely like lodged in our brains and like we can't get it out even if we want to. And that is an amazing brand thing. But like kind of the societal conversations that came out of it, I, I don't know. I felt like it probably wasn't, wasn't as impactful maybe as I thought it was going to be, but that's also okay. Yeah, and that's kind of what I'm getting at is like the big fear of you know, I'm putting words in their mouth, but like the big fear of Mattel is like, oh, it's going to create this moment that is potentially like catastrophic for our brands. And it's kind of funny to see that not only not really happen at all, but just people actually just talking about like the movie and the content and whether they thought it was good and oh, like Margot Robbie's amazing or 
you know, the writing's so good or, oh, I actually like kind of teared up. Oh my gosh, it's a Barbie movie. Like that's what I feel like I've been seeing. And I kind of feel like I've been seeing almost none of the other stuff. And so it's so funny to think of like this massive corporation that was so worried about that. And then, you know, it just not, not happened that way at all. And it kind of just feels like any marketer that is sitting there so close to a project that you're just like so worried to launch. And you're like, eh, it turns out he kind of did exactly what we thought he would do and not all of the bad stuff. If anything, I would love to see their original script. I would love to see what got dialed down, what got erased, because I mean, they they had some moments where they were making fun of Mattel and Will Ferrell. I know exactly where you're going with this. And I have to say, I really resent it. We are a company literally made of women. We had a woman CEO in the 90s. And there was another one at some other time. So that's, that's two right there. Women are the freaking foundation of this very long phallic building. He was hilarious. He was a great CEO. A room full of men, that was hilarious, making dolls for little girls. But yeah, I know they had to scrub some stuff out. So I, I really want to know where it started to see where it got to because... I mean, I really enjoyed it, but I also, I understood the feminism light thing. That's like, okay, we are doing a little bit of like corporate speak here. Like we will be funny, but not too funny because then that might make people buy less dolls and we don't want that. Do you think like they were trying to reach too broad of an audience? Like, do you think they were sort of light on certain things? Because it feels like it could have gone further with feminism, could have gone further with humor, but my gut feeling is that Mattel maybe held them back a little bit because of their like super strong sort of brand message that they wanted to keep intact and like not to offend anyone and that sort of thing. Do you feel like they're trying to like appeal to too many people or what's your, what's your feel on that? I mean, I don't, I don't think they would have achieved the success that they did if they had tried to like appeal super specifically to like one audience segment. So I I think it was honestly for the best that they kind of, it was a movie that had something for everyone. Like children could go, like my fiance's nieces went and they're like five and eight and had a great time. Their mom went and cried probably at the same point that I did. So I mean there really was just something for everyone. So I think that was smart. I'm just kidding. Anywhere else I'd be Is it my destiny to live and die a life of blonde fragility? I'm just kidding. Where I see love, she sees a friend. What will it take for her to see the man behind the tent? because you know these super specific movies like they're not they're not going to be this breakout success most of the time and they're certainly not going to lead to 14 follow-on movies yeah one of the things that jumped out to me in sort of like the lead up and the franchising of all this like the lego movie came out almost a decade ago right so it's not like mattel is sitting there like, you know, right on it. Right? They're not like, not like, hey, we're the most forward-thinking people in the world. I mean, like, Lego Movie made, you know, like I, I argue it's like probably the greatest piece of content marketing ever made. Like, it made like five hundred million dollars or whatever crazy amount, plus 
Lego sales went up 25%. So like, this is a long time ago. Like we knew this was going to work in some form or fashion. At a minimum, little kids are going to go want to see this movie, right? Like it's not rocket science. And so it is kind of funny to me that like, oh yeah, now we have this, you know, this, this brand and all these franchises and all that stuff where it's like, I'm pretty sure like you could have just done this in 2015 and like it would have done the exact same thing. But it's just interesting to me. Like, again, another marketing lesson there for me is, is that sometimes when you just see the great thing, like you don't need to wait a decade for it to be made. But the fact that they did wait and they did it the right way and they brought in the right writer and creator and they brought in the right lead and the right cast and doing it the right way rather than trying to rush it out is also a lesson too. It's like they could have rushed out a Barbie movie, you know, right after Lego movie came out and just be like, hey, we're just going to do the same exact thing. We're going to try to copy them. And I think that it worked in their favor that it was a standalone, massive, huge launch that was that is befitting of Barbie's legacy in America and the world. No comment! Ah! <laughs> no, seriously, no comment. <laughs> ah, I love you guys. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, with marketing ca- campaigns, sometimes there's so much pressure to get it out quickly, to do it now, to do it yesterday. But sometimes it's like taking the time to do it right makes it so much more impactful. So yeah, I mean, with this, like if it had come out 10 years ago, what, I would have been excited. I would have watched it. But at the same time, like, would we have all the channels that they use to promote it? Like, I, you know, I'm not really on TikTok or anything, but I'm, I'm sure there was a big presence on TikTok. And like with the Airbnbs and and things like that, like, I don't think anyone was doing like these kind of like sponsored Airbnb experiences 10 years ago. So Sometimes waiting is worthwhile because then you have kind of all the tools you need to really do it right and reach absolutely everyone. That dream house is coming to real life. Take a look at this. Yesterday, Airbnb announced what? They are opening those fantastic plastic doors to the public, an opportunity to live in their Barbie world fantasy. (laughs) According to the listing, Ken is inviting two lucky guests to stay in the newly revamped Malibu dream house in all of its Kendom glory. Yeah, another marketing thing that I kept thinking with this is that the end product has to be good enough to justify the launch. And I think that sometimes in B2B marketing, we build up a launch so much in our minds to like nail this launch. But it's like, if it's like a product release or an update or something like that, we're like, maybe people are super excited, maybe they're not super excited. But if they're not super excited, like, your huge launch and all that planning and all that prep might not generate like a ton of of interest and excitement and all that. It might not feel worth it. For this, because people are so excited about actually watching the movie, you know, getting their family, getting their friends, getting their kids, going to the movie, experiencing all the different things on social media and, and otherwise, and then actually seeing it live in the theater and having that experience, like, it to me like the build up builds like so much excitement to go do the actual thing. Hey Barbie. Yeah. Can I come to your house tonight? Sure. Mm. I don't have anything big planned, just a giant blowout party with all the Barbies and plant choreography and a bespoke song. You should stop by. And so it's befitting of of all the work that I think that they put in in this pre-launch. It's like in order yes, it was brilliant marketing, but it also like enhanced the actual day of activity 
because you had so much like emotion and excitement for the thing. And I think like that's a lot harder to do in B2B. But if it is something really exciting, like, and you are generating a lot of anticipation, then that's worth it. If you're building up a ton of anticipation and people are just like not super excited for it, it's a little harder. Yeah, I was thinking of like a brand relaunch or something like that. And you you create so many assets and you you have a new font and you have a new look and you have a new color and you're so excited. And then there is no press pickup. And you're just like, but why? But why didn't you get excited like I did? So this is like exactly the opposite. We were so excited about everything. And then he got in the theater. And even if you didn't like it, you're probably glad you saw it because there was so much going on around it that you kind of just, you had to know what the real thing was. Yeah. Like, I wonder how much like standing alone and in Barbie's case, standing with Oppenheimer, this other movie that's completely the opposite, benefited from that because they're just, or maybe they just spent way more on marketing. I don't know. Uh, again, like you said, Pink was every single place that you looked for what felt like months. Yeah, and I saw some great, it was even on LinkedIn, it was literally everywhere, like even in the places you didn't expect to find it. And I saw this meme, I guess, if you can call it that on LinkedIn. And someone was like, we want to copy Barbie's success. And then someone was saying like, great, anything is possible with a billion dollar budget. So anyway, I, I would love to see a spreadsheet of the full costs of every, <laughs> of all the marketing for this movie, because I, they were everywhere and it could not have been cheap. It's reported that they spent 150 million on marketing. That's what's reported, the figure, which I believe. <laughs> yeah, that's um, about right. So they did, Burger King did a pink burger. Mattel released a line of Margot Robbie Barbie dolls and as apparel collabs with Gap, Forever 21, and Hot Topic, Bloomingdale's is doing a Barbie-themed pop-up shop. Well, that is not all a luggage collaboration, custom Xbox controllers, a makeup collection, Uno cards, and Aldo shoes. Progressive getting in on the fun with a commercial about ensuring Barbie's dream house. Who knows how much those brands are also contributing to that budget, but 150 million is a lot, but they made 162 <laughs> immediately. So yeah, again, they did something right. Pretty good ROI, if you ask me. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, could you imagine the streaming rights for this? Like, it's like every single person is going to want to. That's the other thing is like, how many people didn't go? How many people are waiting for this to come out on video as well? It's just like, it's it's astonishing how well this is. It's going to take a long did. time. This, this is not a straight to DVD <laughs> situation. <laughs> I'd give it at least a couple more months. I had to wait weeks because it kept on being sold out where I wanted to see it. So it'll have a long run. Any other uh, sort of marketing thoughts? Again, we could go on forever about this. It's going to be in case studies forever for all eternity. But uh, yeah, any other marketing thoughts? Yes, I had to talk about the Birkenstock placement. That <laughs> was so <laughs> successful to me. Like, first of all, it was just very relatable as a Birkenstock wearer. So what'll it be then? 
You can go back to your regular life and forget any of this ever happened. Or you can know the truth about the universe. The choice is now yours. The first one, the high heel. No, we'll do a redo. And then there's just all the news about, you know, how Birkenstock is now having an IPO next month. It's going to be $8 billion. And it's like, okay, these, these partnerships, these product placements, like they really work. Like, you know, I, I, I don't think Birkenstock was like niche by any means before the movie, but it got everyone talking about them. So I don't know. I don't know, you know, that cause and effect relationship between the IPO and the movie. Clearly something was in the works for a long time, but like it definitely helped. And I feel like a lot more people are going to pay attention to the IPO. I mean, granted one, because there aren't very many IPOs right now and two, because of the movie. So I don't know that, that, that was really a successful moment to me, especially like coming from Mach 49, because I looked into Birkenstock and they, in some form, have been around for 249 years. So for them to get like this infusion of excitement and like, you know, be able to IPO right now, that's just like what a breakout success for them. That's incredible. Are you are you buying the the pink Barbie Birkenstocks? You know, mine are going pretty strong right now, so probably not. But <laughs> if I was in the market, I would I would strongly consider it. So this is per Google Trends data that the Birkenstocks, the women's Birkenstock sandals reportedly increased a 346% surge after the movie. Wow. That's amazing. That's wild. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is like the way that we think about this stuff has changed. I, I talk about all the time about like product placement, how important that is. Spielberg used it to pay for his films. That's why he could afford these massive budgets. But when you think of things so holistically like this, about all the different integrations that you can do and the way that brands come into the show, the way that they pay for access to that, the way that they pay for access, that Barbie pays for access to other brands, like it is such a modern marketing, like extremely complex quagmire that it's just, it's, it's remarkable. It's, it's truly, truly amazing. Any other uh, marketing thoughts? Your thoughts on Barbie? I would say like the holistic aspect of the marketing for this film definitely stood out to me. Just like it seemed like there was no stone unturned and like, I don't know, like a pink burger. That sounds awful. I don't want to eat that. But like, that's just like part of something like so amazing. And like, no matter who you are, like if you like Birkenstocks or if you, you know, like to go to Burger King, like there is something for you in this marketing campaign. And I really feel like they, they thought of everyone. I, I would love to see like the brand reach, like probably like 90% of the world that, that would probably be my estimate. That's probably very wrong, but I don't know. Even when I was in Mexico, there was like an entire corner that like giant Barbie, Margot Robbie, like it was on an entire corner. And this, this was in Mexico. So like, I can only imagine like other places around the world, like every, everyone heard about this movie. You have to like live without internet and without seeing like bus ads or something to not have been touched by this. So yes. Barbie changed everything. Then she changed it all again. I don't know what I kind of took away from it, 
from it is just like go all in on your wacky ideas. Like when you have like such a multi-pronged marketing strategy, even if one thing doesn't go well, like you still have 99 other things that are going great for you. So I don't know, spreading out your resources when you can and trying to hit as many people in your target audience as you can. Yeah. We've already sort of talked about it, but my biggest marketing takeaway for Barbie is they spent $145 million on the production budget and $150 million on marketing. And like, if you are in B2B content marketing or B2B marketing, like, you need to have a budget for distribution and a budget for production. And those two things need to be big numbers together so that the quality is high and the distribution is high. Otherwise, like, it's probably not worth doing. Or you just do it in a different way. But I'm like, I'm biased because I run a production company. But, but the idea is like, we see this bear out in the data. Like, you bet big, you win big. Um, and so much of the like lean startup mentality and test and iterate and all that stuff, it's great. It's good. It works. You should be doing that stuff, of course. But you need to have conviction that content should exist. That's something that you think the world needs. And I mean, needs is an operative term because did we need the Barbie movie? I don't know. Yeah, we did. You know? And they spent the right amount of money to produce it and the right amount of money to distribute it. And that's why they're having a massive, you know, success. Again, box office, 337 million globally off the gates is wild. I have a question. Angelica, I'm curious if you played with Barbies when you were little and if you were like a Barbie kid or if not, like what about the marketing and the movie kind of like made it more appealing to you? Yes, I definitely played with Barbies as a kid. And, you know, I had a few and I had a best friend who had many and her mom would just buy them because she wanted answers. She wanted to know. Once she bought her a Rosie O'Donnell Barbie and my best friend unwrapped this and was like, mom, why'd you get this for me? And she was like, because I wanted to know if it was like plushy inside, like was it clothes making it larger or was the Barbie larger? So anyway, it was a big experiment. <laughs> it was clothes. It wasn't the doll. That was unfortunate for mom because she could have not bought that because Ruby wasn't playing with it. Um, it was a very strange Barbie to get, but Barbie is great. Yeah. When I was a kid, I lost these boots and my mom wouldn't let me buy a whole new Barbie just to replace the boots. They look so good on you. Why, thank you. Hey, you. She was always my favorite Barbie. You're my favorite human. Don't tell him, but I never got a Ken. That's because Ken is totally superfluous. <laughs> Loved Barbie, for sure. I don't know what became of my Barbies, but I, I had a really great uh, VW Bug car and that one. Wow. Wow, that was like one of the best days of my life, getting that car. <laughs> so definitely a lot of nostalgia involved. And like, I don't know, I feel like that's a thing right now. Just like taking something that like was such a big part of your life when you were small and like bringing it into the real world and like bringing in real world problems and seeing them trying to, you know, navigate things that we deal with on a daily basis. So I don't know, it just from a nostalgia factor, I think they did a fabulous job. I like too how they played with like the idea that like a lot of Barbies and Kens and little girls uh, bedrooms or whatever were doing naughty things. And they like, there's a point where like um, 
Ken's like, I thought I might stay the night. Wow. You can go now. I thought I might stay over tonight. Why? Because we're girlfriend, boyfriend. To do what? I'm actually not sure. <laughs> it's like the fact that, like, you know, they're designed to look male and female, but they don't have any of the parts. You know what I mean? So they're like, <laughs> just played off that a little bit. It was really funny. Another thing that I thought was pretty interesting that one of the leaders at Mattel said about the marketing piece specifically for this is that everyone thinks they spent all this money, but like, you know, it was, it was in line with like what you would spend for something like this. And again, I just wonder how much of the extra halo effect of the marketing was from user-generated content and just like how many people were posting about it. And I just didn't know. I knew people loved Barbie. And I knew people, everyone played with Barbies. And everyone knows Barbie. But I think that like in this sort of like content zeitgeist, People almost think it's like lame to make a movie about a toy for some reason. And I wonder if like the vast majority of people really don't care. And they're just like, oh, this is cool. Like, I wonder what the Barbie movie is going to be about because I played with Barbies as a kid. I just, I just find that endlessly fascinating. It's like what, you know, if you pulled every single person who went into the movie, you'd have a hundred percent brand. Like nobody saw the movie doesn't know what a Barbie is. How many people played with them and like, who are the like power users, you know, of Barbies or whatever? <laughs> I had 50, you know, I collected them. I cut off all their hair, you know, like, I don't know. It's just, it's so, it's so fascinating to me. I feel like there are a lot of creators of weird Barbies out there. The markers and the hair cutting. <laughs> and then you learn that hair doesn't grow back on a Barbie. <laughs> it was a big moment in childhood. And we're like, wow, I messed this one up. Okay, won't do that again. Oh my God, I had a weird Barbie. Yeah, you did. You make them weird by playing too hard. It's cool. Let's talk about My 49. How do you how do you think about marketing? What's your content strategy? So content, we we have tried just about everything under the sun. I joined when there was like a very tiny marketing team. So we were largely all about events at that point. So content for us came in the form of like, well, at that point it was COVID. So there were, there were no in-person events. Everything was online. And the good thing about that is that everything was recorded. So we could mine everything. We could turn into, turn one webinar or one speaking engagement into like 15 different things. So that, that was a really good thing. It was just so easy to recycle. And then kind of as the world started opening up again, you know, we went back in person, like with clients and with prospects and things like that. So I would say our, our content marketing strategy during COVID was, is very different than it is right now, just because like we have so many more levers and also we have to be more stringent on like, okay, everything needs to be recorded. Like if we're going in person with anyone, like we need to make sure that like this conference speaking engagement is recorded because we can turn it into so many different kinds of things. So I don't know, the world opening back up definitely kind of opened doors for us in terms of, you know, getting clients like on stage with us and things like that. So I'd, I'd say a lot of our content strategy is it's based on events. It's based on client success. And then also thought leadership 
from our employees who are building those ventures and helping with those investments. Because at the end of the day, kind of what we're selling is like expertise. So it's it's super different from when I worked in more like SaaS-based companies. Like you were selling a thing and you just needed as many people to buy the thing as you could. But like, you know, in a services business, it's it's definitely very different. But at the same time, like the experience from those SaaS companies like still carries over. Like, no, I'm not writing ebooks or, you know, necessarily writing infographics every week anymore but kind of experimenting with different types of content like that, that definitely still holds true. Do you have any favorite content or or campaigns that you've done over the past couple of years? Yeah. So one, it kind of was like the first big event post COVID. So everyone was really excited to be in person because Zoom is cool, but like when you can actually like meet someone and shake their hand and like hear from someone and get inspired, like that's just... That's amazing. So we had a conference or rather we were a sponsor at a conference. I think it was maybe January, 2022. And that one, we just went all out with, like we had multiple clients on on stage, like in speaking engagements there, but we kind of went all in with Goodyear. So we had a keynote address with the head of our CVC business, like talking with the CEO of Goodyear. So they had a great discussion. People really enjoyed that. And during the conversation, so everything was outside because people were still quite worried about COVID. So we're like, okay, you know, we're going to do the conference, but we hope the weather is good because we need to be outside. But during their discussion, the Goodyear blimp went past and like, our former CMO kind of orchestrated that to like have it go past during and <laughs> during the talk. So that was just like a really cool moment of that's amazing. Kind of like putting it all together. And like we also did like work with the Goodyear team to like give rides to like prospects and folks like that. And I feel like those experiential marketing things, like those are the things that people remember. Like anybody can talk on a stage and, you know, you feel inspired for 10 minutes, but like you're going to take about 45 pictures in this blimp. Like you are going to tell your kids, you're going to tell your uncle about this. And, you know, that might not be an immediate deal being closed or something like that, but like that kind of like knock on effect. I feel like that's one thing that like, it can't be beat. Like if you can create an experience like that, then I I think you're really doing marketing well. I love that. That's so cool. That's so true. Another cultural icon, the Goodyear blimp that everybody knows. Everybody (laughs) like, you know, like what's the brand penetration for the Goodyear blimp? You know what I mean? Like it's just, that's great. I love that. What a fun, what a fun idea. How do you think about the ROI of content? That is always a tricky question. Sometimes it's a little bit difficult to, you know, to quantify. I feel like in the past, I definitely like, if it's written content, if it's video content, like web con- content, like that's that's pretty easy to measure. You know, I used to be very obsessed with UTMs and like in some of my past jobs, we had like a really intense like thought leadership strategy. So like we posted on our blog, but mostly it was going out to partners with bigger followings and getting on their blogs. So like in that case, like everything was UTM. Do you wanted to know like who's getting back to our site from this? Are they exiting immediately? Are they going on to do something we want them to do? Are they asking for a demo or something like that? 
So that was a lot easier when you could, you know, track the clicks. But these days with like experiential things, you know, it, you can, you can estimate, (laughs) but you know, at the end of the day, I think there are just so many additional steps in the funnel that, you know, getting someone to the next stage is amazing. And like, they might get to the end later on and you don't know exactly all the different types of content that they touched along the way, but you know, all of them are worthwhile. Like it was worth creating them. So I don't know if it's like case studies, I feel like are are a little bit easier to track because they're like so much further in the funnel when someone is going to be reading this kind of thing. Someone might be giving it to them directly in a meeting or something so you can hear their their opinion. You can see if it's resonating with them like in that moment. So I think it really depends. Like ROI is really hard to track. And I know that's that's a difficult thing for content marketing kind of like as a discipline is like, can you prove that this is creating revenue? Sometimes you can't, sometimes you can. And I don't know, it's worth exploring. It's always worth trying something new. And if you can directly tie it to revenue, then that's great. And if not, you know, it might as well try experimenting. There's no harm. Any other, any other thoughts about about content marketing or stuff that you're doing at Mark 49 or, or things, things that you're excited about coming up? Yeah. I mean, in terms of Mark 49, since we're really client focused and working on a big project right now to kind of reimagine case studies, pretty much like my whole career, there's been like a case study is about one client. It's about one outcome. And since we're services business, there was a lot of overlap. So we're kind of reimagining the way we do them just in terms of like the problem, the methodology, things like that. Like those are the static things that kind of carry across and then just kind of like swapping in customer examples as needed just so that we can like create like a retail case study right away. Like we just kind of plug and play it. So I don't know. That's something that I hadn't really thought of. So I had a great meeting with my CEO and she was just saying basically like, we just need proof points. Like we don't, we don't need to talk about methodology for every single client because often it's very similar. So kind of making, making those kind of marketing assets more plug and play, making it easier for the sales team. That's, that's definitely something I'm excited to be able to publish soon. Any other final thoughts on marketing, on Barbie? I feel like if I learned anything from Barbie, it's just like about experimentation so I I definitely feel like I'll bring that into my role a little bit. Like, you know, posting on LinkedIn is nice, but what else can we do? Like what other channels are our prospects paying attention to? Just the amount of places that Barbie was able to get into. Like, you know, obviously we're, we're not trying to sell to everyone on the planet. Like Barbie is trying to generate <laughs> revenue from every person on the planet. But kind of playing on that nostalgia, trying to figure out like what what gets to the core of someone's being, like what's so important to them. That's definitely something I'll take away from the movie. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that like to me that that power of your partners carrying your message too, of Birkenstocks and Burger King and Airbnb and all these other partners that they got, I think is really powerful, right? It really like it adds to 
that 13 impressions equals a sale, you know, if you see Barbie everywhere and it reminds you, oh, I got to go buy those tickets. And those type of experimentations of like finding a partner or working with someone doing something, those are like hard. They're a lot of work, but like trying and finding those things is something that I think we sort of in B2B have a kind of a boring way of doing that often is just sort of like, hey, do you want to do a blog post on ours and we'll do one on yours sort of a thing. And our audiences will share it together. But I think that there's other creative ways to do it. Like I would have, I would have, obviously Burger King does a lot of stuff, but I would not have thought to make a pink patty. And, but you know what I mean? Like that's, it's just pretty weird. Whereas like you might think of like fashion or clothing or, you know, those sort of things. Also like they didn't use a lot of kids brands, which is kind of funny. Um, like Birkenstock and Burger King and Airbnb, like children aren't exactly lining up for those things. So there's another thing too, that like they did go out of their core demo. And those companies obviously sought out to, you know, monetize the IP of Barbie and the launch and everything. So I don't know. It's just, it's a great point that like that experimentation and finding those things can lead to outsized results. Yeah. And I feel like not doing it alone. Like, I feel like so many marketers are like, okay, we have our team, we have our budget, but how how can you find those good partners who are kind of going to expand your reach and get you into new conversations? Well, Angelica, it's been absolutely wonderful having you on the show. We appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining. For our listeners, you can check out Mach 49, check out some of their content, and I will be eagerly awaiting some of those new uh, case studies because that's that's super cool. Excited to to see those. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. This has been a blast. Yeah. For everyone listening, you go to Mach49.com. And uh, yeah, we'll talk again soon, Angelica. Thanks. Well, that's it for today. I hope you got some good ideas for your B2B content. Thank you for listening to Remarkable. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. Remarkable is created by the team at Caspian Studios. B2B podcast as a service. Caspian also creates fiction series for B2B companies. So if you want a business thriller, you can learn more at caspianstudios.com. Hollywood style storytelling for B2B. And in today's episode, you heard from myself, Ian Faison, and Meredith O'Neill, senior producer here at Caspian Studios. Remarkable was produced this week by Meredith O'Neill, mixed by Scott Goodrich, and our theme song is Solomon by Falak. Be remarkable and rise above the noise.